is the Stagger Podcast. Welcome into the Stagger Podcast. What is up? I am JD Smith. And I am Derek Smith. What is happening, America? And the world. Yeah, well, here's what's happening. Uh, We're almost to Christmas. So for those of you who are celebrating Christmas, Merry Christmas. Uh, We are in Hanukkah for those celebrating Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Uh, And then also for those celebrating other holidays as well. We wish you a happy holidays as we are in the festive season. And it's uh, it's made it so that we have a little bit of a kind of break in our schedule because we're taking a little time off to just reflect on the year, get recouped, try to sneak into a hospital, get a vaccine or two, and then bam, 2021, here we come. <laughs> we're trying to get that vaccine and get it going. But in That's the me-, me tapping my vein there, just ready to go. <laughs> right, yes, exactly right. So in the meantime, while we're doing that, we, we thought we would talk to some people that uh, have meant a lot to us or people that we've enjoyed listening to, uh, either following on Twitter or just friends of ours. So last week we talked to a couple of our buddies and we went into racing broadcasters and we talked about, you know, some of our favorites that we had over the years and had that debate. So if you got to enjoy that episode, I hope you did. We hope to do more like that down the road. Uh, but today we're talking with someone who's probably the, I mean, we haven't had a ton of guests on the show, but he's as intelligent as anyone we've ever talked to for sure. And probably blows the rest of them out of the water by far. His name is Bozy Tatarevich, and he is a great follow on Twitter and we will retweet him at Stagger Podcast. If you've not followed him, you can go to our Stagger Podcast Twitter handle, find him there, and make sure you follow him. Uh, but he is a great person to check into if you are into the technical side of racing. Uh, so we got into some of that when we talked with him uh, a few days ago, and that's the conversation you're about to hear. We talked about the NASCAR next-gen car, what's going to happen in 2022 when that car comes around, some of the technical you know, understanding of that car. He's been at some of the tests that have been run. So it was really cool to talk to him about that. He's also big in sports car racing. Uh, he yeah. uh, works on a team, works on a crew. So we talk about that quite a bit. And then Derek, we also got into some other very important things with him, right? Well, yeah. Well, and one thing that racing related that was interesting is I just, as he was talking, I'm like, how do we learn how these cars react in a wreck? Yes. So he, he mentions that he they do simulations us- and, and they don't just send Stephen Wallace out there. That's not how I thought that's what they did. But they didn't. No, they don't. Um, send, no, they don't just send a driver out there. They actually yeah. do simulate it, which is good. And then yeah. uh, what else did we talk about? We also yeah. talked about food, biscuits. Uh, so he is technical and very data driven, even down to the biscuits that he <laughs> yes. has on the road. And there's I appreciate a, there's a, that. There's a ranking, a, a sheet, and I agree with him. Yeah. Um, yeah. His, so, top, his top ranking in, in, in the spot next to close to his home uh, in North Carolina is I, I would agree it's it's spot on. Yeah. So there you go. Lots to get into here. Listen and learn and enjoy, hopefully. And happy holidays to all of you from all of us here at Stagger Podcast. Here's our interview with Bozy Tatarevich. Bozy, how are you doing, man? Good, good. How are you guys? Pretty good. So uh, we have enjoyed following your Twitter, as have thousands of other people, it appears, because uh, you'd like to get into some of the technical aspects of racing in general, NASCAR. Uh, I came across you the first time when... I think you were talking about the technical aspects of how brake assemblies are different based on aero packages at various tracks. And I was like floored. I was looking at all these, you know, mock-ups and blueprints and some of the actual photos you found of the part numbers. And I was just geeking out on that. So uh, 
How did you kind of start bringing that to people? I know you obviously write about this stuff for a living, but what inspired you to kind of get on Twitter and start bringing that stuff out to the, like the rest of us? Oh, that's, that's a very good question. So I've been on Twitter, I don't know, maybe four or five years. And my main focus there initially was uh, basically just kind of to connect with other people kind of in automotive and cars and uh, mostly related to street cars and writing about that and reviewing things like that because that's kind of my background. So I had this Twitter account to connect with these people to try to connect to editors so I could pitch stories, you know, on kind of technical aspects of street cars, basically. Alongside that, I had a shop and uh, eventually got into racing from some grassroots stuff and then all the way into SRO World Challenge and IMSA and so on. And the kind of, the two kind of naturally combined. So I started connecting with more racing people on Twitter and I just saw the, you know, things that I was thinking about. There were other people that were, weren't really talking about it that much. And then there were people that were kind of interested in it. So uh, eventually, you know, I just kind of started sharing more racing stuff. And then last year I, kind of started to get interested into the NASCAR next gen car. So I've been kind of a fan and, you know, watched NASCAR for a while, especially since, you know, I, I live in North Carolina and this is where I grew up. <laughs> sure. So, but I hadn't really written about it that much or tweeted about it that much. And then I was able to get some technical information on the next gen car last year and wrote a story about that. And then this whole world of NASCAR people kind of came to my Twitter. <laughs> then I found more NASCAR people and then it just kind of started from there. And then, it, it kind of, you know, uh, grew and then expanded. And then now I'm doing a lot of NASCAR coverage. Yeah, I, I think that's really fascinating because there are so many of us like like Derek and I both grew up watching NASCAR and getting into it as, as kids the way like kids would, you know, this car looks cool. This driver's, you know, awesome. He wins all these races, you know, that kind of thing. And then we got older and we started liking it for different reasons. You know, you go to the track and you kind of as a car guy can appreciate the sound and the the noise. But I obviously know that in the world of racing, NASCAR tends to get looked down upon by, you know, people. And so we we also, though, have gone to plenty of, you know, road course races and IMSA races. We have we go to dirt track races here in Ohio. So like we we're, we if it's got four wheels and goes around a circuit, we're we're interested in it to some degree or another. So, I like all the different technical disciplines that go into making each of these cars in their own special way. And so that's what I think is really interesting: how you come at NASCAR from the very technical car guy side of things, and it makes me feel better as a NASCAR fan. That's like, okay, good. He seems smart. He knows what he's talking about from an engineering <laughs> standpoint. This is good. I'm not because <laughs> I've always thought NASCAR is underappreciated for some of the technical tricks that go into building these things. I realize they're they're very clumsy cars if you were to just take them at face value. But if you look at all the tricks of the trade, you've got some geniuses working in these in these facilities, just like you do in in other racing disciplines. But it's kind of looked at as a, a different. Things. So I appreciate that you've kind of brought this to my attention and, and helped <laughs> help some yeah. of us feel better about, all right, good. NASCAR does have a lot of tech going into it. We're, we're not, we're not wrong on that. That's awesome. And that's, that's kind of my goal with a lot of the stuff that I share because the kind of common perception of NASCAR is because of the layout of the drivetrain and, you know, the stick axle in the rear is it's kind of behind the times. But the reality is, is that 
engineering wise, NASCAR is the most advanced form of motorsport in North America. And many of the engineering tools and even some of the actual people involved are used in Formula One, which is, you know, basically the top form of engineering and motorsport worldwide. And the best example I can give, you know, when trying to show people how all that works is you'll often find NASCAR engineers that worked on designing whatever part or testing whatever part, they'll leave NASCAR. And once they leave NASCAR, they'll get recruited by uh, aerospace companies. So the level of engineering is such that, that the engineers that designed the parts that go into cup cars are basically immediately qualified to go work, you know, on, on stuff that goes into space. <laughs> Yeah, which is which is crazy. And the the one thing that I, I do like being a NASCAR fan is I love the technical side. JD likes it a lot more than I do. I just can't get the image out of my head of, of NASCAR Twitter coming to your Twitter feed with cut off Dale Jr. shirts and Bush lights in hand. <laughs> I mean, was that kind of a, a shock to you as far as your comment feed getting a little more colorful, let's say? <laughs> well, it's uh, not really a shock. Uh, there's a lot of different fans and that's yeah. cool. My, my approach has always been, you know, whether online or in the real world is, you know, you know, try to meet everybody, try to understand where they're coming from. And if, you know, they're different than you, then, you know, you can usually find a common point as long as, you know, people are pleasant and understanding it's, you know, a different way. And I try to have patience, you know, for people that may not understand. So there's, you know, different kind of, interpretations of what happens in racing and what people see when they watch a race. And some may not know even the basics of a race car while others may have worked on a race car. So I, I try to gauge when somebody's asking a question, even if it seems like a very simple question, I you know, try to do my best to explain it in such right. a way that they can understand it and maybe appreciate it a little bit more yeah. and be able to enjoy you know, the sport more. Yeah, I yeah, think, we, I think, oh, sorry, go ahead, Derek. Well, I was just going to say, we've been at dirt tracks, and, and I think J.D. and I both have been in the paddocks for those things, or pit paddocks, uh, the the, <laughs> the dirt area behind the turns. The pits. Um, but yeah. even in those settings, uh, I mean, you've got everything from cutting tires to, I mean, changing out your shocks between qualifying to heat races to the feature. I mean, there's a lot of things that even at, even the everyday racer, as you could say, the guy who has a welding job but hops in a 410 sprint car, there's a lot of engineering going on there. It just doesn't come at the level that you see at NASCAR, Formula One, things like that. But I do have a question, though, Bozzi. What got you interested in motorsports to begin with? Uh, that's a good question. and it, I, I feel like it just kind of grew naturally. Just I, I've always had an interest in cars. So since I was a young kid, I've always you know, been interested in cars and I can remember very young, you know, catching a little bit of Formula One, maybe, and some NASCAR races, but, you know, just it wasn't ever a huge interest. What really brought me into it is I had a shop, like a mechanic for street cars, and at the time, I had a partner that worked on tuning cars, and eventually, uh, some of the cars that he was working on his side of the shop made it over to mine and i started learning how to do alignments setups uh, like track cars that people would take to the track on the weekend oh, and wow. that that kind of grew my interest into race cars and at the same time as you know as an adult i started following f1 and nascar and some you know IMSA and some sports car racing 
and was, you know, kind of a casual fan. And then over time, I got even more invested into it and started, you know, working on these race cars and grassroots series, which in turn made me more interested in what the pros were doing. And I'm a very competitive type of person, so yeah. it started to be more fun. And then I wanted to see what people in the professional leagues were doing. So I started basically following all the races and all the big leagues. So, you know, NASCAR, F1, IMSA, uh, some World Challenge, some WEC, Super GT, all kinds of stuff like that. And then really got nice. into it, you know, a few years ago and then eventually worked my way up to be able to crew in a professional series. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. So this year you were working with AIM Vassar Sullivan, which for those who maybe follow it not as much in the IMSA series, uh, Kyle Busch has driven that car at the Rolex 24 in years past, or at least I think last year. Um, you joined up with them in the summer. Is Was that your first time with, with like a professional crew, or had you done that before prior to this? I've, I've crewed professionally for a couple of years. Okay. So uh, I started in TC America and SRO, which used to be Royal Challenge, working on some Subarus a couple of years ago. And from there, uh, that same year, I made it into IMSA working in TCR. And then this year, I started in TCR, but because of uh, all kinds of stuff going on this year, that team shut down, you know, in the spring. And But I was able to come on with uh, Ambassador Solomon at the time in the summer. And that is my first GT car experience. Uh, professionally so most of the cars i had worked on over the past couple of years have been touring cars either tca or uh, tcr or tc cars either an sro or imza but this is uh, my first kind of gt car experience which is kind of you know now racing uh, instead of just racing in the michelin pilot challenge series working on race cars there tcr is now working on them in the weather tech series which is basically the equivalent of cup and nascar so yeah. it's the top level of imza and it's, you know, a full featured program. Like you said, it's some of the top drivers in the country, or actually some of the top drivers in the world. Sure. Race yeah. in this series and even all the teams that I'm working on where we have, you know, where we have really, really good, you know, professionals that, that, that you know, they're in our cars and plus, you know, other Toyota drivers like Kyle Busch that sometimes cross over and, you know, join. So it's, it's definitely been a different experience. It's, it's been the most enjoyable racing experience I've had so far just because, you know, such a professional program and such an intensity that everybody's focused on winning and everybody's focused on getting there in the best way possible. And it's, you know, it's been good, good to be able to do that, especially this year. And it's even been good on, you know, like a, a physical level because I'm more physically fit now because there's a bigger <laughs> focus on pit stops. So yeah, it's a, yeah, it's, right. It's, it's, it's a real deal. Right. You got to get yeah. in and get out of there. Yeah. So it's because I want to be faster. I, uh, you know, we practice with the team, but I also, you know, train and practice on my own because I want to, I want to be as fast as all the rest of the guys on our crew. So we can, you know, we can help, help the car get ahead their races perfect yeah i mean that's the thing we we love the competitive nature of racing and every person i've ever talked to in motorsports at some level or another it's just that burning desire that i don't care what we're what place our team is set to finish we've got to do one better than what we did last week or what people think we're going to do or that lap has to be just a tenth quicker and i just love that aspect of no matter where you are if you're the 
number one car in the field or if you're kind of running the back of the pack there's always people on those teams that are saying yeah but how can we get a 10th how can we get this what can we do and i think that's to me that's the unifying factor of racing kind of that brings everyone together whatever discipline you come from everyone can relate to that um one thing that i i really love about sports car racing and it kind of ties into the the nascar next gen car that we're going to talk about i love the fact that um you know the sounds that you hear and when the cars go by in an IMSA race for people who've never been to one, you close your eyes and you can pretty much tell after a few laps, which cars are going by. You can be like, Oh, there's the Porsches. There's the Lexus, you know, the, Oh, there's, there's a, you know, uh, uh, uh why am I blanket on the, the series? There's a, there's an Acura going by. Yeah. And so you can kind of pick those apart. And I know some people have noticed that with the next gen car, it sounds a little different. And I know you went to Charlotte to the Roval and also I think to the uh, to the to the actual oval test. But the sound is a little different than what we were used to with the previous generation of the cu- of the cup cars. Right. That is correct. And that's mainly related to the layout of the exhaust. So the current cup cars basically have headers that come off the engine, go towards the middle of the car. And it's two separate pipes that eventually meet with a, uh, like a crossover pipe where they're joined and then end up on, on uh, coming out basically on one side of the car. The next-gen car is set up more like a sports car where the pipes actually don't go underneath, don't go straight back from the engine underneath the car. They go kind of perpendicularly. Basically, imagine headers coming off the engine and then going into the fender following the shape of the tire and then going into the side skirt and then coming out the side and these are two completely separate pipes so what you're hearing now is four cylinders on each side of the car with pipes that are shaped differently so different harmonics instead Mm -hmm. of eight cylinders coming out one side of the car so that's that's why you'll notice a difference and right now uh one of the big things with the current cars is there's a lot of heat in the car so you'll notice that a lot of races, you know, people will notice on TV that they'll show temperature monitors. And a big part of that is because the exhaust runs underneath the driver's feet, basically. <laughs> so it Jeez. cooks the cabin and the cabins are sealed, sealed off very well anyway because of aero. And uh, previously, they also had, you know, the, like the right side windows for safety, which they adjusted some of those rules, you know, late, late this year. Yeah. But you know, hot pipes under a box that's very sealed off doesn't make for a very pleasant experience, you know, inside that box. So now yeah. with the pipes basically coming off the engine, going behind the wheel into the side skirt, they're not sitting underneath directly underneath the cabin, which should make for a safer, safer and less hot experience for the drivers. And what we're hearing now is probably probably close to what we'll see in the final product, but it's likely to change somewhat once uh the new engine package comes in depending you know and that should be i think 2022 depending on how they do it and what they do and my prediction is that the exhaust is more geared towards that so it'll be i think the final product will be similar but likely slightly different yeah so i mean i don't want to totally turn off the nascar fans who who have grown to love that sound and that vibe but when you look at the internals of what they're doing, and especially underneath the car, uh, they're they're building like a GT3 car with a NASCAR body on it a little bit, right? Because it's going to have aero underneath, like 
more well i mean they have arrow under everything now but it's a flat body under there right it's it's a completely flat surface for the most part they've they've covered most everything up right that's correct so it's it's actually that the, the bextron prototype i actually went and laid down on pit road so i could look at it when i was in charlotte and <laughs> that's why you're um, worth the follow on twitter because yeah. you get under there we gotta <laughs> yeah. we gotta see what's going on yeah that's right yeah. <laughs> and underneath it looks actually quite similar to the lexus rcf gt3 that i work on in imza really? so it appears to have a three-piece flat floor so what that does is currently the cars have the splitter and then they have uh, a small panel behind the splitter and then after that, there are a lot of openings and teams spend a lot of money now customizing those parts. So the suspension pieces there, the oil pan, and basically anything that moves there at the front of the car. So under speed and at aero height, all those things lay down and kind of get in line with each other to try to get as flat of a surface underneath the car as possible in order to optimize for downforce. So what NASCAR has done now is because that was a big area where teams were spending money, plus because just the way the car is designed, they've put a flat floor under there. So what you have is a three-piece flat floor where from the splitter to the cabin, there's a big piece of carbon fiber and everything's covered. And then if you keep going back, there's another piece in the middle and then another piece in the back that goes all the way to the diffuser. So it's mm -hmm. completely flat. And what, what they're kind of trying to do there is they're trying to make an equal start for everybody as far as the underbody arrow. So everybody kind of has the same starting point and people aren't spending this huge money to design this oil pan or this control arm or whatever that's just, you know, a tiny bit better than the next guy mm -hmm. to, you know, try to get that arrow under there. And that's going to take some development because up until now they haven't done that and the prototypes from what I hear are still very sensitive with the way that's done. But their final goal is basically to stabilize that underbody arrow, which should stabilize what happens on top. And hopefully they can pull some downforce, you know, off, you know, as far as, you know, making the spoiler shorter or something like that to make the car better if they can figure it out overall in the end. Yeah. And that's something that, uh, that always has interested me is that research and development, but, but my, the way my brain goes uh, a little bit, uh, is I'm wondering what happens when a crash happens or a wreck. And I don't mean that from the NASCAR fan that just wants to see wrecks. I want a clean race where I can see that the, the, the cars go at speed and, and the, may the best driver win. But when things go wrong, like they did in Daytona with Ryan Newman and Corey LaJoy, what, uh, obviously there's different safety aspects like the bar that's going to be there uh, that protected Ryan Newman. But as far as, uh, you know, cars that, that, you know, hit the abutment of a wall or something crazy happens. How do they test for that? Is there a simulation for that? Or is it kind of just what the 2022 season's about is let, you know, some of the guys in the back, you know, I, I don't want to name names, but let some of the guys go out there and make the mistakes and see how these cars handle and how they react to getting beat up at Daytona and stuff and then make adjustments from there. Or is there a simulation, I guess, that, that helps them out from the start to make sure the drivers There's are safe? There's lots of simulation, and at this point, with how much they've been testing, I expect that they're probably into the hundreds, possibly thousands of hours of simulation. So they wow. can simulate, wow. once they wow. have these models, they can simulate cars individually, they can simulate cars in a pack, and they can simulate different tracks, different weather conditions, all kinds of stuff. And before, before they even put 
one of these test cars with a driver in it, they simulated a variety of crashes just based on what I know about how this stuff works and you know the risks that they're willing to take. So uh, I expect that starting out, the first cars that hit the road will likely be safer than anything we have now because they've put so much effort into the, into the engineering. And from people I've talked to in the industry is uh, they've said that the new car is actually gonna end up slightly heavier than the current car because wow. of some of the safety stuff they've put in for the cabin and some, yes. some of the other components that they've done. So there'll be a fairly similar weight. I think the original goal was to have the car maybe be like 100 pounds lighter than this current car, and it's probably going to end up like 50 or 100 pounds heavier. But there were a, a lot of things that were put in place to make them safer. And they uh, even the weight of the car, they didn't want to change drastically because the tracks are designed for a weight and the size of a car. So when it hits the safer barriers or when things happen, they didn't want to kind of go too far away from that because then they would have to reevaluate whether they'd have to change things at certain tracks. So gotcha. uh, as far as safety, I don't, I don't have, I don't have any, you know, worries there. So to say, I'm sure there'll be things that they discover, you know, after the first few crashes where they'll make small adjustments or, right. you know, issue, issue upgrades. But as far as the cars being safe, I would say that they're that I don't expect them to be any less safe than the current car at launch. Well, good. That, that's good that they're doing more than just putting it on iRacing for a few open track sessions and <laughs> simulating it that way, which is, uh, I don't know why I like, but I, I just, <laughs> I guess I could see past regimes in NASCAR doing that and being like, hey, boys, have at it. Let's, uh, let's go out there and put on a show. But uh, I'm glad they're taking the right steps because, I mean, as we saw in, I know it's in a different discipline, but in Bahrain, I mean, it, it, a year doesn't go by where we don't lose a driver or almost lose a driver a, across the spectrum of series. So uh, whatever we can do for safety is obviously paramount for that. Um, but yeah, uh, the, all, JD's probably got another question for you because all my questions are related to food. So, <laughs> Well, actually, I only have one more, and then we do have to get into some biscuits and beans talk. So uh, all right, we'll, get, all right, good. <laughs> we'll do that. But um, I just wanted to give people one more one more kind of understanding here. So NASCAR has done these two tests, well, two tests at Charlotte, more or less, and then one now at Daytona. Um, the car is set to debut next year at day 2022. I'm, sh I'm already into 2021 because... <laughs> screw 2020 it's we're done we're it's done, done. <laughs> we're ready to move on but 2022 <laughs> daytona that that's where this car is going to debut so just about a year left to to really iron things out um there's two cars that have been built the rcr nascar one was the black and blue one that we've seen predominantly but action express from the world of uh sports car racing and imsa they built an all black one that was at charlotte for the roval test have they brought that one out again or that's is it, was that just mostly for the Roval to kind of have a comparative balance there? I think they had it at the Roval. I'm not sure if they're bringing it out at Daytona, um, but there are actually seven cars in existence. Oh, this, really? Based, wow. Based, based okay. On the, or actually six. There were seven, but one's been destroyed. But uh, based on my best knowledge, there's there were seven built. There's six in existence now. So. There was an original P1 prototype built by NASCAR, just basically to be used for testing and collecting data, and that was eventually destroyed. And then there was a P2 that was used for the first few tests, and then the P3 is the blue one that NASCAR is using now. Yeah. And then the black one for Action Express, 
and then each of the OEMs, so uh, GM, you know, Chevy, Ford, and Toyota, each one of them have a car mm. that they're using basically to design and build and test their bodies. So, what, what about that four- fourth uh, manufacturer that's coming in? We hear about. <laughs> Do they have one yet? Uh, I have, we I have not, we I are have not heard, heard anything uh, that that would say <laughs> anything conclusive as far as a fourth. Uh, yeah. manufacturer. we we are we are all about the conspiracy of of who's coming back and when are they coming <laughs> back. Personally, and why I'm, he why he's at a ski slope right now in Canada and all that stuff. But, per, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Cole Pern, my guy. No, but well, I, I will <laughs> I will say I'm personally rooting for Mitsubishi to get into the mix. Let's go. Let's let's have yeah, some fun. That, that, that let's, would be uh, very exciting. Let's get some uh, evos out there. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, all right. Yeah. So, food question. Uh, you just tweeted out something before here. Uh, beans for breakfast. Have you not had this before? I have not had this before. So a friend of mine, Ethan, Ethan, he tweeted about that earlier today that, you know, he considers beans a breakfast food. And I started thinking about it. So I retweeted him and said, you know, I need to, I need to try this out, but I have never had beans for breakfast. I know that it's like a British specialty Mm. and I've been to the UK, but uh, I was usually for quick one or two day things. So I've never yeah. really like had a chance to go sit down and have like a, you know, proper bean breakfast. So Wait, you mean you went to England fun. and weren't immediately enticed by their delicate cuisine? I'm shocked. That's, yeah. that's what they're <laughs> known so for. Is- know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'll have, to, I'll have to try that next time, but I'm, yeah. Sure, yeah. I'm sure there's somebody here around town, one of these, you know, pubs or something that has, you know, a proper or the closest North Carolina version of a proper English yeah. breakfast. There so you go. Well, Hey, this. you, you you can go off the board even. I was in Costa Rica and I had black beans with rice and eggs and then you put Tabasco sauce on it. And oh my gosh, it's the best way to start the morning off. It was, uh, I ate it every day. Um, so like when I think of beans for breakfast, I think of beans like in something, not just by themselves. So hmm. I'm with you on that. Like I have never had beans by itself for breakfast, but sure. I'd be open to that. Uh, that sounds I, I, yeah, that sounds legitimately delicious, and I think I've actually had that kind of combo with like breakfast burritos and stuff. So yeah. I guess yeah. I have had beans for breakfast with like a <laughs> breakfast burrito, so I guess it does yeah. work like that. Yeah, yeah, but not, but yeah, it's weird by itself. But uh, and then your profile also says that you are a biscuit uh, connoisseur of sorts. So, like, how does how far does that stretch? You're a critic of biscuits, like. Do you like have it out for Pillsbury or you are, are you like looking for like the low key, like, you know, Pillsbury back? Oh, well, I knew them from, before. From they were my Pillsbury understanding, kinda... you're on the hunt for like the ultimate biscuit restaurant. Is that, is that not correct? Like that's, that's, that's where you're that's, going. That's basically it. So yeah, wherever I am, uh, if there is a option, you know, to get a biscuit for breakfast, um, I'm going to try to go for it if I have the time. And then, and then I make notes on, you know, which ones are good and which ones are bad. And of course I have, uh, I have a biscuit ranking where all the biscuits I've eaten over the past few years, I rank them, oh, you know, the best to worst. So my local biscuit place, the biscuit factory is currently at the top of that list with I believe <laughs> biscuit roll and Bojangles following that. So it's, yep. it's a mix of local places and chains, but basically as long as somebody makes a good biscuit, they can get on the list. Yeah. I'm with you on Bojangles. I've not had the other two, but as far as the chains go, when we, we don't have them up here in Ohio. So when we go down South, I, my wife actually gets on me. She's like, why do you always want to go to Bojangles? And I'm like, one, <laughs> one, we don't have it. Two, it's yeah. biscuits all the time, and three, yeah. it's chicken on a biscuit. Which how can that be bad? And it never is. So yeah, yeah. 
Bojangles yeah, Mafia is here for you. We're we're we we are loud and we are proud. We are here for it. Yeah, I mean, to me, the, the 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 essential ingredient. I mean, you have to have butter on both sides. That that's a key to it. I think. I mean, <laughs> if you get that, and then do you like a harder biscuit or one that's soft and flaky? I like I like it to be flakier. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah. Now, now, do you ever eat the the Pillsbury cinnamon rolls that? Like me and J- me and JD are brothers, and growing up, it was our Christmas Day tradition for our dad to like draw out. We couldn't open presents till we ate these cinnamon rolls, and he would take his sweet time making them. And it made us to like eight o'clock till we could open up presents. <laughs> but I so so I've carried on the tradition with my kids naturally because that's how human beings are. Uh, but it I went I actually went out today, like what seven days before Christmas, and stocked up because I don't know what it is, but in Central Ohio, it's hard to find. These cinnamon Pillsbury biscuits. I know they're not the traditional flaky ones, but yeah. they're good. And I didn't know. Have you ever tried them before? I have, and I'm a fan. So those are those are good. And you know, just yeah. it's nice though. You can kind of unroll the things, stick them in the oven, yep. and you know, put the the coating over it, and they're just yeah, you know, it's perfect. Nice, oh. you know, hot and satisfying. It's a uh, just you know a nice nice treat. What you didn't know then, is that this whole setup has just been to get the Pillsbury reference in there so thank you (laughs) we're all getting paid so this is great we've worked that in naturally it was very smooth we started with cars and then wham hit them with the pillsbury why is there a pillsbury sticker on the next gen car that's weird it's the pillsbury cup series coming to you in 2022 yeah well one one nice question for you before we let you go we really appreciate you coming on here but uh yeah so 2020 was a really weird year at the track you were one of the few people who actually got to go to tracks and stuff just how different of an atmosphere was it from what you saw? I know some races had fans, some did not. Um, but but what was that like for you going to these tracks and, and working and doing all that stuff and not seeing maybe as big of a fanfare, as big of a, a group of people around the tracks that, that we're used to seeing? How different was that for you? It was, it was very different. So I'm used to seeing fans camping, seeing fans in the stands. And in IMSA, Every ticket is basically like a hot pass in NASCAR. So if you have a ticket to go on the stands or if you have a camping pass, you're allowed in the garage. So my previous experience has been I'm working on something on a car and I turn around and there's, you know, half a dozen people just chilling there watching me, you know, <laughs> tighten this random bolt or make this random adjustment. And now all the races, we have a bubble. So it's, Fans are not allowed in the garage area or the paddock. Um, even PR people and certain photographers aren't allowed in the paddock. So it's literally like the rules were basically if you're doing something to the car, you're allowed in there. If you're not, then you can be in a certain area, but you can't mix in there You know, to try to make things as safe as possible. So that was really weird just because we're used to people being around. And it, a lot of races, for that reason, felt more like test days than races because mm. it was just, you know, was just mechanics and you know some other team personnel and drivers and that's it yeah <laughs> like <laughs> there's nobody else there so that that made things feel really weird and then just the processes and traveling to these places were also very different because of you know the procedures and for the you know pandemic that were put in place with all the checks that were in place and having to go through a screening every day that you're at the track. So if you show up, you know, on Wednesday or Thursday and you don't race till Sunday, it doesn't matter. You have to go through all these screenings and, you know, people have to be separated in certain areas and food, the way it was done was, you know, very tightly controlled. And 
I'm appreciative for all those things because, you know, for, you know, for the vast majority of people, there weren't any issues and we're able to get our season in and finish all of our races. So it, it's, you know, it's worked, but it was a completely different atmosphere. Like I said, it, it wasn't the traditional, you know, seeing the fans and seeing that excitement. It was more, you know, we're here to compete and we know that, you know, the race is on TV, but it's not something that, you know, me standing on pit wall can see, <laughs> and see yeah. that response. Yeah. So it, it just, you know, it just felt weird. But once you start competing, once the race starts, you're in your zone and it's, you know, other than having to, you know, wear a mask, it's no different than any other race. It's just that time up until the race starts and the action starts and the adrenaline kicks in, that's where the big difference is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we appreciated your Twitter as well, showing some pictures from the track for when we couldn't get there. You know, it was really great to be able to see some of that. Uh, and so I appreciated that at least I know Derek did too, but yeah, um, yeah, we, we will for sure, as soon as, you know, assuming everything's good, we plan on being back at mid Ohio. That's our, you know, closest track that we would go to for IMSA races. We've gone up there many a year. Uh, so hopefully next, next time we're up there, we'll all be there and we'll see you there and we'll bring you some biscuits from, uh, a couple of the Amish restaurants up that way awesome. up around awesome. there. They, they do biscuits right up there. So I don't know if you've ever gone to any of those places yet, but if not, we'll, uh, Der Dutchman is the place to go to up that way. Um, not too far from that's, the track and they do make a mean biscuit. So I'd, we'll have to get your review on that at the track this year. That sounds cool. And yeah, it'd definitely be cool once things can hopefully get back to normal and, you know, meet you guys and, you know, be able to just just have that normal paddock experience oh and sure yeah I, I have not tried Am amish biscuits so that definitely would be oh, something i'd be interested in they uh they also have uh they they do like a peanut butter spread and they have nice. app and they have apple butter all of it oh, yeah. you know oh, like yeah. special so it, you got your options set up there yeah. it's really good it's like in the fine tip like ketchup bottles too so you can like do yeah. the, like i mean it's just you can do a drizzle on it you can yeah it, you can go I mean, however you need to go it's it's good i'm we highly recommend uh, the Der Dutchman when you come up to Mid Ohio. So, just ask around; they'll they'll point you in the all, right direction. All of this, all of this sounds amazing. <laughs> well, you, you gave us all the intel on NASCAR Next Gen, so we're giving you the intel on the Ohio biscuits. How about that? We'll we'll trade. Yeah, excellent, that. excellent. That's awesome. Oh man, thanks again. We appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you, thank you guys for having me on, and uh, hopefully, we'll see each other at a race somewhere. All right, our thanks again to Bozy Tatarevich for that uh, wonderful discussion. I don't know. I'm I'm such a fan of the technical aspect of racing. It fascinates me. And the people who work on cars, we talked to our guy, uh, Charlie Langenstein, who's also a super intelligent guy working on NASCARs. We, we love talking to the guys who turn the wrenches and make these cars go. So always good to get those perspectives and awesome to uh hear from the guys who make this stuff happen so and now i'm hungry so thank <laughs> you bozzy yeah we're gonna be we're gonna be heading over to uh the biscuit place we'll have to go get some der dutchman because we live here so we can just go get it uh but mm. we'll have to get him some when he comes back up here for the yep. next time in ohio we got you covered my friend i'm excited about it for sure um all right so that is it for us this week we will be back the week after Christmas, actually. We're going to give you our top five moments of 2020 when it comes to racing. So we will have our own list. Maybe you can submit yours as well. Go ahead and get those in now. At Stagger Podcast on Twitter or Instagram, you can post those and maybe they will make the show next time. Till then, happy holidays, and we will see you right before the new year. Take care, and until then, stay safe and stay staggered. <laughs>